Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brenning and Jack McEnroe. They'll be taking your calls and speaking with a different guest each week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Brining. This evening, I'm joined by the fabulous Jack McEnroe. Jack, how are you? Fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) No, I'm good. I'm good. It was a little bit cooler today. I don't know about where you are, but it was not. The last two days have been hilarious. Oh, my God. I was just melting. It's so funny. You got And people on the subway were like, either fighting with each other or just laughing in hysterics because it was comical. It was like getting into an easy bake oven and going downtown. Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, but I'm good. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Doing well. Doing well. Fabulous. Just living it, you know? Going through the motions. (laughs) (laughs) I've talked to you more in the last week and a half than I have since we started the show. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Because I don't get a whole lot of Jack McEnroe this week. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was, I, I was over at my friend's house, and I'm like, oh, I have to go do the radio show at 9. He's like, didn't you just do that like three days ago? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, it's all good. Yeah, right. That's funny. Yeah, that was fun on um, doing it on Tuesday. It was kind of weird doing it in the afternoon. It kind of um, you know reminded me of how we used to do it before, so it was, it was interesting. Actually, I don't know, but for me, it's, if you ever decide to change the scheduling, it works better. Because I'm an old lady, so by now, the time now, in the evening on Sundays, I'm like, my bed looks awesome. Oh, shit, after talking on the phone for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> right? No. Jeremy's in the same boat, I think, because he takes his meds, like, right after the show. Oh, right. So usually, like, he's like, as soon as he takes his meds, he's out. So, oh, interesting. Like, so maybe we'll see. We'll see what we can do. I know when I say I'm thinking about taking off possibly um, the month of August to kind of take care of some personal stuff for myself. All um, right. But we'll see. Um, it's coming up, so we'll see. We'll be here next week, and I'll let everybody know by then. But other than that, things have been, you know, pretty good on my end. Um, Big Brother's on, and I'm not watching it, so I'm kind of upset. Don't you have a DVR? Oh, yeah, I DVR'd it. It came on at 8, and I couldn't really focus on it. So I just okay. tape it, and I watch it afterwards. Well, see, I'm waiting to watch the World Championships of Swimming. They're in China, in Shanghai, so they're on, too. So I feel your pain. <laughs> 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 I'm, well, I'm obsessed with swimming, so, you know. No, sure. And with cable yeah. nowadays, you get channels with everything. Yeah, well, no, and then they show, instead of just, like, there's a special sports channel like Unispirit that shows everything. So 
I'm watching all the heats. I just get, I'm like a freak with that. So, I mean, I know how people get obsessed with their little sports and my, my brother and sister are addicted to Big Brother. So my brother was like, Oh, one time I watched Big Brother after the show on Showtime until four in the morning. And they don't even do, they just show them like eating and talking to each other. It's like nothing. I'm like, Oh my God, that is so gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's literally live after dark, so they show you like four hours or three hours of it live, and it's yeah. just them doing anything because they're like an answer, right. you know, they're in their little cameras. So totally it's weird. And you do watch them everything. You watch them eat. You watch them walk and pick their teeth. And I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, that would not be boring. Oh, I'm sure. It's boring, but, but that's hey, when all the drama happened. We're all a little bit voyeuristic, I know. So, yeah, you, know, you want to watch someone back else? Back. You want to watch someone else be a hot mess? <laughs> well, mm-hmm. I'm sure being locked in a house like that would make me a hot mess too. Right. So, you know, hey, I would not cool. be able to watch TV. Well, if you're on it, so you can't watch it. <laughs> yeah, well, you can't watch TV. I mean, you can't read anything. You, you, you no internet. You're kind of like I don't know, cut off. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, that's the whole point. They want you to go bonkers in that little box. But um, yeah. how cool was it? Did you see any of the New York marriages today that the people could legally get married this morning? Yeah, that's so awesome. they were, Yeah, they were showing, and there was, like, um, there was a ton of people in line. I think they said up to almost 1,000 people in line to get their marriage licenses. Well, they got, I think they got their license yesterday, and there's a 24-day waiting period, so you don't do, like, a shotgun marriage. And then, um, so you have an, 24 hours to think about the rest of your life. And then, so there was, there was like a really cute couple, the one woman, they'd been waiting like 25 years to get married. And when there was two women, one of them was, well, one of them was, I don't know if she's in a wheelchair, but she was like clearly, you know, struggling. And she was probably, I think mean, she was in her late seventies and the other one was in her early seventies, both white hair. And it was really sweet. So people were really excited. And then of course there was the protesters who, I always think it's really weird because, I don't know, not to section off any one group, but there was one, a group called, and it was mainly a church-based group, I can't remember. Oh, it was um, Let the People Vote, and they had some weird parade march, and basically they were saying that the public opinion is against gay marriage in general, and um, they should have had a popular vote. And then they scanned the people, that, and it was mainly, like, ethnic minorities, I mean, and I just think it's like a lot of times you bring up that subject, and I know, you know, those groups of people tend to be really religious and church-centric, but it's like don't, they just don't equate at all the civil rights movement with, like, the gay rights movement at all. They don't see it. Like, you always think, oh, if anyone would understand discrimination, it would be non-whites in our culture, cause, but they don't right. get it. The other thing I just was, I, I was talking to my, with my friend, and I was like, who cares what other people do? Like, I don't, they're always like, oh, this is going to lead to marrying your pets. And I'm like, well, go ahead. If you want to marry your cat, like, I don't care. You know, I mean, how, how is that going to affect me? It's like, are you going to get a tax write-off because your cat has nine lives or something? I don't know. It's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, no, I totally agree. And, and, you know, it's kind of, I think, women should kind of also understand it because women fall for rights for so long as well. Right. You know, so, so I, I, don't know. I would think that they would have some sort of um, gentle heart towards the gay movement since they well, know even, what it was even like re- regardless of regardless of that, I mean, 
studies show in every country and every place where it's actually been embraced, only good things have come. Only. Like, there's no negative effect at all. And we don't care, like, what the other people are doing. It doesn't affect heterosexual marriage in any way, shape, or form. So, you know, who cares? (laughs) That's the part I don't understand. I mean, I would understand if we were infringing on someone else's rights, but we're not. So it's just stupid. Anyway. I still need a date, let alone a husband. I can't even can't even get that. <laughs> hey, you should do like uh, we should do like speed dating on the radio and have people call in. <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, please. I have we'll enough free calls. I I got my I got my stalkers. Don't get me wrong. But I'm sure. I got enough freaks on Facebook sending me messages that are so inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> But it's all good. It's all good. I just want a normal person, you know, not too much to ask, but whatever. No, it's not. It's not. Speaking of normal people, our guest this evening, Melissa Baker, she's as normal as they come. Um, she's awesome. I actually, uh, you know, she's a member of Podcast. I thought you met her. her. Yeah, yeah. I met her down at um, the D.C. Summit, uh, the ADAP Summit in D.C. this July. And she's just a phenomenal woman. She is um, HIV positive. She is the mother of four kids. And she just recently, her, the, the, the youngest one is, I believe, just under a year. Cutest yeah. baby ever. Um, oh, my God, adorable. Um, and, you know, she does a lot with speaking um, at prisons. And she's very involved. So um, please help me welcome Melissa Baker to the show. Melissa, welcome to the show. Hi, you guys. How are you doing? Fabulous. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Welcome, honey. Thank you for having me. How's the how, is the baby sleeping? Yes. <laughs> right, the, we the have time that according. Year, right? She will be a year old in three weeks. Yes. Right. Yay. Yes, she will. Beautiful. Thank you. Time has flown by. <laughs> <laughs> I love the past year. You, with um you, her, and Dad the age there, they were really cute. Yes, yes. She was uh, flinging the bear all around the bed at the West End. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, okay, so let's start um, with, you know, the beginning of your story. Let's tell me a little bit about, um, you know, when you were diagnosed. How old were you? And what was, you know, your life like in that situation? I was 27. Um just about to celebrate my 28th birthday. Um, I had married right out of high school and had my older three daughters with my ex-husband. We divorced. Um, you know, I call myself a ser- serial monogamist because I've, you know, the dating thing was never something I really did. It was, you know, a relationship and I was in it for years and then, I'd go, you know, then I'd get out of that relationship and then go into another one. Well, um, we had been in the relationship at that point about 18 months, almost two years. Um, And I got that news right before my birthday that um, my HIV test had come back positive. Um, It was a shock. because I knew a lot about the virus, um, I had exposure to people with it um, in my family and in uh, 
friends, family. So you were educated on the you were educated on exactly. the topic and exactly. I mean, I had working in the healthcare field as I do. I had done blood donations leading up to that relationship. You know, um, you know, I. He was on, really, looking back, my history, he was the last person I expected it, um, that to, to occur. You know, like in, an, in a marriage where someone steps outside of the marriage, that would have been the one that I would have expected. <laughs> or, you know, maybe back in my, you know, uh, rebellious years prior to getting married. Um, but not during that time. Um, and... You know, the year before I met him, I had tested, and um, I knew my status. And then even during our the first year of our relationship, I had gotten very, very sick and tested negative. And instead of, like, testing every three months or, or six months after that, a whole entire year went by again before I decided with things that was going on with him to take my doctor up on the offer. He had made it a few months before I actually did allow him to test me um, because of some health issues my my boyfriend at the time was having. But I had told him, no, you know, know, no, I'm going to decline that test. Why would I do that? You know, I haven't been with anybody else but him. And, you know, your record shows I got tested while I was with him last year and I was negative. In, retro, in retrospect, do you think that's where you Sarah converted uh, when you were when you got sick? I know, I, I know. I, I've written it down, like step by step, everything I went through Sarah converting, and I know that's what. If I had gone a month or three months later, I would have caught it sooner. Right. Luckily, I caught it within the first year. You know, that was a blessing, <laughs> um, because it the Sarah conversion was scary. You know, the the year later, um, he was dealing with MRSA, and I didn't know what in the world that was. Um, I do. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I had never, I've heard of staff infections in the hospital right. setting or in a nursing home setting, but never in the community setting. But ironically, right after that, you heard a lot of more news reports about it in the community, you know, right. um, and... I mean, it was it was uh, the MRSA, then, you know, he was treated, and then we went away on vacation, and then it was MRSA again where it went into his bloodstream. And, you know, I went to work, dropped my kids at daycare because it was summertime, you know, um, went to the hospital before work and spent time with him when they did morning rounds, went to work eight hours, came back to him and brought him dinner every night, you know, after getting my, my kids home and with a sitter. So, um you know, it, it, and then and then we didn't really know what was why he was septic. You know, and um, he didn't tell me then that they had asked to do an HIV test. Um, it was really me seeing him not. You know, ten days of antibiotics have ended. Why aren't you going to the doctor? I took the initiative and went to my doctor and said, "Okay, I'm going to let you do this test like you offered me a couple months ago." And it came back positive, you know. And do you, do you think that he knew, or did he know in retrospect, or do you know if he knows, or what's his story now? I, I know now, but for that first year that followed, he knew I loved him, and I wanted to maintain the lifestyle we were living with our families. 
You know, we had moved his mother down from up north, his sister and her three children away from abusive marriage. You know, my kids and her kids played together. She was like a sister to me, you know. So you um, think in retrospect, or you do know that he knew that he was positive and, and just lied to you, or you don't know? He did. He did. I know he did now. Um, right. But it took it took a lot more research on my part after we split to um, to get to the root of it. And, and he never, um, he kind of went into hiding um, when I started to go public about my story without using his name, you know. Um, right. People, I mean, to the point I was told he put a, like a sign in his yard not to come in his yard because people were so angry, you know, at him. Um, right. And, you know, I had put, I had had, I knew someone who was an investigator and, and we had discussed possibly pressing charges, but I had was going through so much at the time trying to still work full time and my kids with school that I didn't want to put my family through anymore, you know. Right. And, um... I think that's interesting that you say that, because I had a friend who was talking about the same thing and had a a partner who lied to him, and and I was like, well, you know, I think you're angry right now, and you... I think that's kind of a lose-lose situation. I mean, I know people want, want, you know... Retribution. Yeah, retribution, and you know, you're, and you want some sort of revenge to a certain degree at first, especially until you come realize that, like, you know, it, it probably there's reasons for everything and blaming doesn't really help anyone. And so it's, I think it's always kind of, it's, there's a lot of mixed emotions going into that. It's like, so what if you win and he goes to jail for, you know, a felony or whatever? It's, it's just, it's, it, I think you made the right move. It's kind of ugly and icky. I mean, for a while, I, um, I wanted, um, he made a statement before we, I left that I was paying for what someone had done before me and that people after me would pay. That was when Ew, I was in an email. Rough. That was when I, you know, I was like, okay, in the end, he's going to fabricate some story that makes him look good so people still love him. You know, what I can do in this situation is just walk away from it. Right. You know, and it hurt. I'm not. It hurt like hell. I'm not gonna lie. You know, um, but um, you know, I started kind of just filling myself with. If when there was like, I felt like holes, and you know, where just um, I started to speak. I did my first speaking up at George Washington University um, in D.C. And then I found out about the uh, transformation retreat that they did here in Richmond that was kind of, not everyone knew about it, um, but it came into my life at the right time, which led me into the prison work with the women in the the jails and the prisons here locally, um, where I could actually speak, you know, and tell my story. And um, that was something I don't think... (laughs) he ever thought that I would ever have a voice, you know. I mean, there was a point where he said, because of his culture, um, you know, it was just such a taboo that, you know, I was forbidden to speak about it. Well, you know, you can say that all you want, 
But the thing about it is, is that just like I made the decision within the relationship to stop using a condom, he made that decision as well, knowing what he knew about himself. And he can't stop me from doing the work that I do. <laughs> right. And, you know, it's, um, you know, the, the way in which I told my children, um, I mean, they were witness to a lot. They were witness to my seroconversion. I even had um, Bell's palsy at one point where my smile, I couldn't smile one morning. Um, oh, God. You know, I was getting up ready to go to church, and I went to put lipstick on, and I snuck my smile. It was gone. And um, I knew, because I'm so aware of my body, I went directly to my doctor, and he took care of me. And within a month, I was back to normal. But now, was that from was that from medication? Or was that just from what was that from? Just how it, 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 my my counts dropped. Like they were pretty good, but by that point, they were. I was closer closer to AIDS, um, an AIDS diagnosis. Um, so and you wow, put on meds right away. No, I wasn't because my counts were at that time they were like borderline. You could start meds. You don't have to start meds. But at the mo- that moment in time, that was the the thought. Um, I should, maybe should have started meds right away. I didn't, you know. Um, and for a while, my count stayed up fine. But I really think the stress of everything just wore it down, and that's why sure. I minimize stress <laughs> because you don't realize. I mean how much stress is on you until you physically, it, it, it manifests itself in, in something like that. <laughs> That's like, okay, Melissa, you need to slow your butt down. You know, you do have this virus now, and you can't keep doing what you were doing before, running yourself in the ground. So, literally. Um, so, did, did you find that speaking, I mean, it sounds like it was really therapeutic for you as well, as well as the people you were speaking to. Right. And, I mean, a lot of the things it got me to that point, I'd never dealt with them, you know, from childhood abuse, you know, sexual abuse and rape, you know, to running into a marriage where I thought he was my Superman, you know, and realizing he wasn't the one for me after we had our children, you know, um, and, you know, just seeing red flags in a relationship and having blinders on. You know, um, I can look back within three months of that relationship with him. I should have ran, and I didn't have the opportunity to, but I didn't, you know. um, Just uh, Uh, not loving myself. (laughs) That's really what it comes down to. That's something that I think a lot of us kind of relate to, Melissa, is not loving ourselves. That's something that we all, um, you know, kind of relate to as, I guess, to as in growing up, you know. In life, you know, as one person, we all kind of have that that feeling. One thing I wanted to talk about that we kind of, um, I didn't mention um, earlier was that when you were diagnosed, you know, when we're all diagnosed, people kind of feel isolated and alone and, you know, and there's nobody out there. But your doctor specifically told you something that was kind of a weird fact that may have freaked you out more. How did that feel? Tell people what exactly the doctor said to you. Uh, and doctor said a lot to me. Can you remind me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, my I doctor, oh, the adherence. The, the adherence? 
No, no, he said that, that he, you were the second woman that he ever diagnosed. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> that doctor, the one before my doctor, doctor. Um, yeah. Yeah, my, my, G, my OBGYN who had delivered my second pregnancy with, you know, my, my ex-husband, um, you know, he's the one who had offered it. He's the one who did it. But then when he called me in the, to his office that morning, he was. I was the second diagnosis of uh, you know he'd given to a patient in, two, in ten years. Um, wow. I didn't really know how I should feel about that. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Should you have said that to me, you know, <laughs> and you're just right. now telling me this? Um, but he was being completely honest. He'd known me for a long time, you know. Right. Um, he know me before my you know going off and getting married and having children. He known me from coming back. You know, um, it, it 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 hurt. I could just tell it hurt him to have to tell me that. You know, right? Um, he was hoping that it was going to be different. Um, right. And uh, well, I, I also I'm, think I'm that like we a forget. father daughter kind of relationship. Very odd. You know, like a, like an authoritative figure like. You know, I was like, oh, is this is how it's going to be to tell my dad? And maybe I should, you know. <laughs> um, but in the end, it, you know, my I did talk to my family. So um, it's all good. <laughs> well, I think, I think you know, we have to remember a lot of times with doctors, especially if they aren't like HIV specialists and you didn't go there and they don't have a lot of, you know, high-risk patients and that sort of thing. My doctor that told me was a gastrointestinal doctor, and he was, I, I know he was more nervous than I was, or just as nervous, and um, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's fun information to tell anyone, so they sometimes say the right thing, they deliver it in a good way, but usually when they're not used to doing it, it's probably, you know, very stressful, so. It did help, though, because the year before, like I said, when I was here converting, um, there was some issues that I was having that I had had to see him for. I remember he brought in his part, female partner say, look at her. What is wrong with her? You know, um, they did cultures on me, and it wasn't what they thought it would be, and then they didn't know what it, was, what it was, you know. And then over time, everything went away. Um, but, you know, he, he just... Um, It, it was just, it was a very odd time with him. That's just really all it comes, you know. He he did he did have me lined up right that same day with an infectious disease specialist because I had seen one the year before. And right. that was awesome to be able to leave there knowing I had that appointment that afternoon. And honestly, I, on the in the between one place to the other, called on my cell phone and lined up for my daughters with their pediatrician to be tested that afternoon as well because they had just started shaving. And um, I know they had their own razors, but just in case they had ever picked up mine by accident, I needed to know. Right. Honestly, well, I mean, really, of, of I needed course. to know before uh, talking to him. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, you know, regardless of the risk factor, you'd want to know anyways if you're just, right. just for, you know, who knows what happens, like, you're in close contact with someone. I mean, quite frankly, anyone, people should be getting them regularly anyways, you know, because right. who knows if you're, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, of course, since you didn't know for all this time that you're like, Oh, I hope to God my children weren't exposed. So um, right. how did they, how did they end up dealing with 
the information of you they, being positive? They they just amazed me. Um, they knew something was wrong because they'd seen it, you know, and lived it for a while with me. Um, but I ended up doing an article in HIV Positive Magazine after speaking up at George Washington University, and um, I let them read it. And I was there with them, and then I asked them if they had any, what questions they had, and I wanted them to tell me if first thing that popped in their head, you know. And I remember they hugged me and they kissed me and they, you know, one of them, I can't recall which one, said to me that they knew. How old were they? What was wrong, you know. Um, and um, I think how old were they? Oh, wow. Um, let's see. This was two years ago. I, it, um, so the twins were 11, about to turn 12. Um, and then my youngest was uh, nine. So, yeah. They were not how, too how, young. How exactly, did you, how exactly did you tell them? Because... No, at that age, it's kind of a little bit hard to comprehend exactly what HIV is. Like, were there certain terms that you use to make it more, you know, understandable for the people of their age? Because that's a lot of things that people were asking us, like, um, who were tweeting us questions, were how did you tell your kids and things like that, because that's yeah. what people try to struggle with. So I kind of wanted to get your input on how it's you exactly did that. It's amazing what kids already know. That's what I found. You know, when we talked mm-hmm. about it, they knew a lot. They'd learned about it, and you know they they knew more than I expected them to know. Um, you know they they knew that HIV was you know, and then about you know AIDS, and um, they knew how you could get it. You know, um, I just they just wowed me. I, I, I it was actually kind of a shock, you know, and then. You know, once I started my medications, they knew I needed to take them every day, you know, and they never miss. And there's times where I've been, I've been sick or something like that, and they're there, Mommy, here's your pillbox, you know. They know, you know, how important it is um, for me to do what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, that's, that's awesome. They, they just... They're the ages that they are, but they that kind of whole experience matured them probably quicker than they would have, um, you know. But they still are so um, attached to me and so innocent, you know, innocent that um, you know it didn't it didn't mature them too much, you know. And and I and they we started talking about things like. Um, love and boundaries and intimacy and communication and things that I'm living proof of, like, if you don't know what those things are and you don't know what options you have, what can happen? Right. No, I think (laughs) Um, that's great that you were so honest with them. I actually have a very specific question, which I've been asking since I knew it, thinking about since I knew that I was going to do this interview. So I know you had one, you had a your newborn while, well, not mm-hmm. newborn, almost one-year-old, while you were mm-hmm. HIV positive, correct? Right. 
So can you explain the logistics actually of how they do that? Because I don't, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend. A lot that. of people don't know. No, no, that's yeah. a great question. Um, when I um, first found out, it was a shock. Um, <laughs> but my doctor, the first thing she said was, you're on two medications I would have put you on if you weren't on anything. Um, so that kind of made me feel good, you know, that right. I wasn't on anything that could harm the, the baby. Um as well as I had been undetectable, you know, and she watched that during the entire pregnancy. Because if you have a viral load of a thousand or below, you know, you really she we as a woman you're allowed to deliver vaginally. Okay. Um, you know, there is the option of a C-section. For part of my pregnancy, that was all that I was going to do, um, and then. Um, towards the at during I went into labor actually at work five weeks early. Um, I was scared out of my mind, but I luckily worked at the hospital where I delivered her. Um, my thing was I knew I had to get inf- an inf- IV infusion of AZT um, during my labor. Wow! Um, and my worry was if she comes quickly, she's not going to get enough AZT you know, enough bags of AZT into me to give to her before I deliver her. Um, Because I know how quickly my other one before her came. Um, (laughs) I I was flying out. (laughs) I would have gone to the pharmacy and picked it up for them. I mean, that was, you know, that was my biggest concern. And I got it in enough time, um, you know, because she was five weeks early, they wanted to make sure that I delivered her in the operating room because um, they like to get you past 35 weeks in a pregnancy. Um, and, you know, gosh, she was – my daughters were with me, and they said, Mom, they wheeled me back in, and I had her within 17 minutes. Um, wow, I was wow. back in the room. And, you know, I remember when they broke my water and the first thing I thought of was the doctor in front of me, like, oh, my gosh, you know, I have to tell you, you know, like, she's, you know, it's all over her, you know, like, with breaking of my water. But um, she was gowned and masked and gloved and everything, you know, and I know she's probably delivered, you know, um, with a positive mother before. Um, And, you know, she was perfectly fine. I mean, right away they put, um, do a test on her. Um, it came back negative. Um, and for six weeks, every four hours around the clock, I gave her AZT by her mouth um, oh. with a little dropper. Um, but see, she <laughs> this is how she's been such an easy little one. She woke up every four hours. On cue, that's when she wanted to eat. <laughs> so she, it was like, and she, and and it's sweet. The AZT is sweet, so they like slurp it up like it's sugar water. Um, Interesting. And then that, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. That last day where I knew the six weeks work was up, and I didn't need to give it to her anymore. You know, the next day I went back to work. 
And the right. blessing in that was she, that was her first time sleeping through the night, and she continued to sleep through the night during all of that afterwards. Wow. So, you know, she got a test again at two weeks. She got a test again at, um, at one month. She's got tested again at six months. And then her final test will be at 18 months. But the way that it works is that after two tests that come back now, they can deem them negative. Right, right, um, right. But she's had four so far. So the likelihood of a test coming back at 18 months is pretty unlikely. Um, That's great. And I, I also, I knew the percentage of positive women delivering negative babies now was really high, assuming that they were treated. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just didn't know how they did it, the logistics of it. And I actually, it's interesting that it's AZT they still use. Cause everyone, you know, you mentioned that drug now, and everyone's like, oh, God, it's so antiquated. And, yeah. you know, it, but I guess it works. <laughs> they know it works. And, I mean, to go from, you know, in the mid-'90s, you know, 20%, you know, um, rate of infection to a 2% now, right. you know, of rate of mother-child infection. And it, that's just, you know, it, it blew my mind um, that a lot of what I just said, I actually had to teach her father. He didn't know anything about it. Right. Um, and, um, I mean, people oftentimes, you know, and, and therefore I remember this question being asked at the conference, Um it was with you, Robert, where right. somebody had asked about, um, you know, if it's a positive couple, um, will the baby be infected? You know, um, her father is, um, you know, and it's the sperm is left fertilizing the egg, and it's the semen that it's in. Right, you know? right. So, I mean, you know, he even asked that. I, I Bless his little heart. Right. You know, um, no, I, that's, that's one of the topics that a lot of people actually, you know, always mm-hmm. ask about um, because they don't understand how it all works. But we're getting towards the bottom half of the show, so I just want to real quick open up the phone lines. You guys okay. can reach us here at 347-215-9442. If you're on the uh, line and you want to uh, come on air, please press the number one so we know you want to speak to us. I do have a caller on hold, so area code 865. You're on the air. Hey, it's Cowboy Larry. Hey, Hi. Hey. Hey, I just want to um, first of all say Melissa is just an incredible person, and I finally got a chance to meet her at the ADAP conference, and I was just blown away. She's just such an amazing, positive attitude person. And I guess my question for her is, what does she draw upon to keep that positive attitude in her life? And she's just an amazing role model for women and for mothers, I think, all around? Um, I have strong faith. And, in, in, you know, that's that's one thing that has never really, um, has never wavered in, through all, out everything. You know, really, in my life. Um, you know, I just, and I'm, I'm one to take leaps of faith a lot um, with, you know, um, and even with my, my my baby, you know, that was something that scared me out of my mind at, at right at the beginning. But I just said, you know what? You know how, you know, like I had to remind myself how strong my faith had been, you know, and just refocus on that. And that's something I do often. Like even, 
when something is awful going on, you know, I just have to redirect my focus. All oftentimes it's on my with my children and my you know my family. Um, that's, that's you know, great. Uh, so thank you. My, no, just real quick, I just want to say thank you, Larry. Thanks for calling in, man. You betcha, thank you, Larry. Thank you. And I actually um, do have a uh, another caller that I'm going to go ahead and bring on. So area code four zero two. What's your name? Where are you calling from? This is Janine. I'm calling from Nebraska. Hey, Janine. Hi, Janine. Hi, guys. <laughs> Melissa, <laughs> I just wanted to call. You know, I'm missing the show tonight, but I wanted to call and just say that I love you and I think you're fabulous, and I'm very happy that I got to meet you finally face-to-face at the summit, and I know that you and I will be friends for probably the rest of our lives. And I just think that you are a wonderful woman and a wonderful mother and a wonderful advocate. Aww. So I don't know what you guys are talking about because I missed the show, but I just wanted to call and say that. <laughs> Compliments always apply. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for calling in, Janine. All right. Y'all have a good night. Bye. You too. Okay. Okay. I have another caller here, area code 202. You're on the air. Robert, Melissa, Jack McEnroth, it's Dave Purdy. Hey, Dave. (laughs) Melissa, you are so awesome, I have to tell you. When we did the uh, senators and congresspeople walk through and all that stuff, I know you didn't have a clue that it was going to be like probably a mile walk. And you look great in those heels, honey. But I want to say you didn't complain one bit. No. And you did an awesome job when we spoke to everybody. But uh, I think you're absolutely fantastic. And you're a great advocate, um, as Janine just said. But uh, more importantly, um, I know you're a great mother, but your kids must be great, too, because when we were on the subway coming back uh, to the hotel after the ADAP conference, um, you know, you you didn't complain one bit, but you had mentioned to me that your daughter had actually encouraged you a lot to go visit with these senators and Congress people, and you weren't actually planning on going, and she was the one that – encourage you so share if you could share a little bit more about your your children and oh yeah um i had two that i had just dropped off at camp and my one of my twins was behind because she doesn't go to camp till next month and um she knew that i had wanted to go to the conference and she said and i said but you know i have you and i have the baby and she said mom that isn't a reason not to go you know um and she just, she was amazing with her, you know. I mean, I got to still see her and, and the baby, you know, while I was there. She, like, she said, you know, it's kind of like a nanny, you know. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, and I didn't feel guilty because I, I, I got so much from the conference and from everyone there. Um, you know, my other two are, um, the one that was there in D.C. has a twin sister, um, she is just the most, oh gosh, she's just so affectionate and just so bubbly and just, you know, she favors me a great deal. Um, they're all, I refer to them as little Melissa's because they're all just little bits and pieces of me. You know, my 13-year-old is way taller than me because of my ex-husband's height, but she just is just that, mom and multitasking and you know just 
every day they do something different that just I love watching it because I know they're mine. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's they, awesome. I think that's great. And I just want to thank Dave for uh, calling into the show. Thank you, Dave. Um, and that was awesome um, to meet everybody down there. Um, another question coming is, how did you tell your family and how did they react? <laughs> Unfortunately, um, <clears throat> when um, I asked my uh, a so-called friend at the time, um, a girlfriend, uh, had gone ahead and told my father by the phone and she told my ex-boyfriend's sister by the phone um, my goal was to October after I was diagnosed in August of 2007. My goal was to wait till after December of 07 because my sister, who's six years younger than I am, was about to graduate from a um, a, a college here, um, university here in Charlottesville, uh, Virginia, and um, I was so proud of her. And um, when our mother had passed in 2003, I had promised her, she'd asked me, she'd even done testing on campus to make sure that the relationship I was in then, that I would practice safe sex. And I promised her I would do that. And so to be have to look my sister in her eye and tell her was something I wanted to wait until after her shining moment of graduating from college. Um, right. But because that friend decided to take it upon herself to tell my father, um, my my sister came home when she couldn't get my dad on the phone um, and found out that way. Um, that really, I shut down for months after that. I wasn't myself. Um, it was too much all at once. You know, I'm sitting there taking care of him, and he's forbidding me to talk about it. But then, you know, my family, you know, I'm trying to be as best a mother I, as I know to be, you know, and work full-time still, but just, my dad's youngest brother had died with complications of AIDS in 95. And I remember how that what affected him, you know. And, uh, we, like I said, we lost my mom in 2003. It was just not, that wasn't <laughs> a very good time. Um, that was probably right, the darkest right. time with this. Um, but they have still welcomed me with open arms, you know, um, you know, they, there was a lot of educating I had to do with them because they didn't know, you know, um, because we didn't have much time when my uncle found out. It was like when we found out, he passed not long after, you know. Um, and so, And so you know, much they, has changed probably, right? Oh, yeah. Since I mean, then. a lot a lot uh, has, you know, they didn't, I don't think they really knew much of anything, you know. I mean, his mom is still living, you know, um, his sister, um his half brother, you know, um, it's 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 kind of insane that two people, in you know, a generations apart, you know, are uh, have had this in the same, you know, but it happens, you know. Um, no, you know, definitely, I, definitely I now does. know why my uncle. I kind of understood for a while why my uncle might have been so in the closet about his lifestyle and his being positive back then. You know, I understand more now than I did back in, when I was 15 years old, you know. Um, which, which kind of brings me to my next question. Um, you know, one of the topics they're uh, blogging about over on the Pause I Am Network is stigma. And can you tell me a little bit about how you deal with stigma and have you had to deal with, deal with it on any kind of negative level at all? 
dealt with it. Um, I, you know, I dealt with it um, in the workplace, you know, where someone covers my lunch and has to wipe everything down like they're going to catch HIV if they don't. Um, God. You know, um, I have changed workplaces since I was diagnosed, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm careful, you know, because of the, I work with cancer. I, I actually work with lymphoma patients. Um, I have a lot of HIV lymphoma patients. Um, I, you know, I'm a little bit more careful now because it's so many years later. Um, because it's it, it's there. I'm there for them, you know, and it's not about my status. You know, there are people within the hospital that know my status. You know, I'm not going to broadcast it to them. You know, like while I'm walking from the cafeteria to my unit, you know, or <laughs> to the coffee shop to my unit, you know. Um, but they, they, um, I just don't give people the satisfaction. They're trying to get a reaction out of me that's a neg- probably going to be a negative. They're looking for a negative reaction, and I don't give that to them. Right on. Um, you know, um, no, no, I agree. So tell me a little bit more about your work. Um, you know, you were telling me that you work, you know, with people who have cancer. Tell me a little bit yep. how you got involved with that and what made you get involved with with that kind of field. Well, my mother um, passed from cancer, um, and I decided at that time that I needed a change. I was more um, in a primary care, you know, area um, that I wanted to change into a specialty Um and I worked for years with just very, you know, variety of cancers. But then with this position, I took, I knew it was specifically leukemia and lymphoma. And um, it, it's just, um, I love what I do. That's that's really what it, it sums up. I mean, I, you know, I know I'm not a doctor, but I, I, I help, you know, I know that I'm part of their care you know, and making sure that they get the care that they're supposed to be getting, you know, as I want <laughs> um, for my own care. So um, this is important to me, you know. Um, some people, you know, I, I socialize with, don't, you know, want to hear any, I, I try not, I try to keep my work there and home here, but, you know, if someone asks about it and maybe I go to talk about it, they're like, okay, that's enough, that's depressing, you know. But I, I don't look at it as that. I look at it, everyone wants quality of life, and that's what I my, my goal is, to help with their quality of life while they're here. And if they, you know, luckily, or, you know, survive, you know, which people can. And that bothers me with um, a lot of my HIV patients where they have a curable cancer <clears throat> that they got because they weren't taking care of their HIV and they can be healthy with both, but it's really a decision they have to make, you know. Right. Um, ultimately, they've got to want to live, you know, and 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 know that it, you know, they don't have to disclose necessarily, but just they have to accept. A lot of people, even if they're long-term survivors with it, are are still in denial that they even have it, you know. So if they want to live, they have to accept they have it, and they have to keep going. I, I remember I was quoted in HIV Positive magazine. There was a my doctor at the time, secretary had cancer um, when I was first diagnosed, and she looked at me and she said, "You know, Melissa, I wish I had what you had." And I looked at her like, "Are you insane?" You know, oh my God, I was, that's weird. and I she had breast cancer, 
And she said, because I know you're going to live a long time. And I know I'm terminal. Wow. You know? And right after that was quoted, um, she passed. And that's, an, that's very intense. It was intense. I mean, when she said it, but then looking back, it's even more. Because, I, I you know, even if I, if, if there becomes another dark time in my life, I'll, I, something like that would just make me, you know, try to look at the brighter side, you know. Um, and so, I mean, it is aggravating watching some of my patients, but um, it is it's a lifestyle decision, you know, just like for people that don't want to adhere to their medicine or wants to take it, you know, or really take it the way they want to or whatever, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a lifestyle decision. Um, yeah. No, I, I I agree with you. One of the other things that um, people were asking is where have you found um, support? Oh. Like you go to um, support groups. Where have you found your support works the best for you? I attempted a support group, um, and I found that it was not the best environment for me. Um, there was a lot of people living... Uh, lifestyles that <clears throat> I was there for support. I wasn't there for what they were necessarily there for. Um, but I've, you know, I've done, like I mentioned earlier, I did the, the transformation retreat. That was around a lot of, like, I enjoy being around like-minded people like the conference, you know, where it's positive energy and, like, you know, just wanting to, to, to support one another, you know, Um and people want to see each other succeed, you know. Um, I've also done, you know, like through the CDC, there was a um, early intervention for HIV-positive women called Women Involved with Life Learning from Other Women. That was a great thing that I did, that I w- was able to do with someone that was very dear to me, who was one of two facilitators here in Virginia to even do it. That was a great support. Um and I and it, no, when I, you find new support, you sort of things like that. You meet support more supportive people versus people that are going to bring you down. You know. No, I totally and agree. My, I do have a another uh, question that was just tweeted to me from uh, Rise Up to HIV. Uh, Melissa, have you ever encountered any specific uh, discrimination since being HIV positive? Discrimination. Um, I'm trying to think. Got feedback from somebody. I think a lot of discrimination has been from um, kind of backstabbing kind of discrimination where they did it so sneaky that I couldn't prove that it was that, you know. Um, um, Interesting. And people are are very can be very sly, you know, and um, where they they know exactly <laughs> how to do something, um, where you're not going to find out they've done it, and um, you know, I just kind of pity people like that <laughs> because I'm just and I I'm appreciate the fact that I'm not one of those people. Um, it, 
I'm, I'm really trying to think of an example. I mean, the thing, the, the thing at work was, you know, I knew there was some stuff in my old job going on behind my back, but I could never really pinpoint who started it or what was really being said. You know, I would go to people that I thought might be able to help me with that answer, and it was kind of like, oh, don't let those people work. You know, don't worry about those people. You know, it was like, okay. <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I agree. We're actually going winding down to the last couple of minutes, so just real quick, I want to ask you kind of the question that we like to end the interviews with: is what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's newly diagnosed? Find a doctor that you're comfortable with. I always say that because if you're not comfortable with the doctor, your treatment's not going to be the same. You know, um, you're so not going true. to be wanting to talk to that doctor about things you really need to be talking about. Um, and I also say cut out foolishness in your life because the foolishness is only going to bring you down. <laughs> I mean, that applies when you're negative too, but especially when you're positive. Um, and, and people that are, bring negativity in your life. You know, um, I've eliminated a lot of people out of my life over the past even two years' time that I thought was was there to support me and they weren't. Um, they were waiting to see me fall. So, um, you know, just... Um, totally. Sounds good to me, Melissa. Yeah. So tell me this, where can people contact you if they want to maybe um, find you for maybe a speaking engagement or just become friends with you? Um, where can they reach you at? Well, I'm on Pause I Am and mm-hmm. uh, on Facebook as well. Haven't done the Twitter thing yet. <laughs> don't, don't. I don't have enough time in my day to do Twitter. It's by the sounds of the, I hear about Twitter. I just don't think <laughs> enough time. That's funny. Okay, so, Melissa, well, we'll put links up. You have yourself a great night, and thanks for hanging out with us for the hour. All right. You have a Thank good night. You. Thank Bye-bye. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Melissa. Wow. Yeah, Where did you meet her? I like hearing that. Huh? Where did you meet her at? Uh, I, the first time I met her, she's a member of Pause I Am. We've ch- I've chatted a few times, but we met her in D.C. at the ADAP Summit this July. She was down oh, there cool. with her uh, her two kids, and it was just awesome. She's just a really awesome, awesome girl, has a, a great mind, and is doing some great things with her voice, so good for her. Speaking in prisons, that would scare the shit out of me, I think. Yeah, I wanted like to delve more into it. that, but we we kind of got off on something else. But no, I yeah. think it's well. I think the rate, the rates of HIV in prison are really high too, so it's very necessary. Yeah, yeah. You know, we did a show in prison before. I forget with somebody. I'm gonna have to come back on. But anyway, um, you guys, great show, that Jack. Thanks for hanging out with me. No problem. Um, I'm practically <laughs> living with you at this point. <laughs> <laughs> To find more information on Jack at jackmackenroth.com, follow him on Twitter at Jack McEnroth. If you dare. What he tweets. <laughs> if you got the balls to follow him, please do. Uh, you can find more information on me and the show at, at pauseim.com. Jack, have yourself a great night, and I'll speak soon. All right. You too. Bye, honey. Have a good night, everyone. Figured I spit it like I actually have HIV. That way people will listen. 500,000 people just died from it, and awareness is what I stand for. With that HIV, with that HIV, get tested, make sure you're not infected. 